Welcome to the Data Driven Podcast. I'm Dominic Bohan, the host of the Data Driven Podcast here, and today we've got a special episode for you, which is going to be guest hosted by Deidre Downing, who is the Chief Learning Officer at Story IQ. Deidre's got a wealth of experience in education focused on teaching large enterprises the value of data literacy. I'm thrilled to invite Deidre and some of her friends to take the mic and share their knowledge with you, our loyal listeners. Okay. Here's a special data literacy episode of the Data Driven Podcast, guest hosted by Deidre Downing, the Chief Learning Officer at Story IQ. Welcome to the Data Driven Podcast, where we dive deep into getting more value from our business data. Whether you're a data professional, leader, or just curious about developing your data skills, the Data Driven Podcast is here to guide you along your journey. My name is Deidre Downing from Story IQ, and this week we're going to discuss data, AI, and improving workplace communication. Yesterday, Masood and I talked about data, AI, and collective intelligence. And today, we're going to continue the conversation by discussing how data can improve workplace communication. Okay, here's my conversation with Masood Alibash, the CEO of Omadeus. Workplace communication. I work for a small company. I've worked for large organizations. I feel like it is always what we are told we can improve on. So tell me, Masood, how can data improve our workplace communication? Okay, so data by itself can't improve communication because data is data. Data is neutral. It is what it is. The way we organize data and the way we communicate data is really the key here. And like I, we were discussing in our last conversation, the models of communicating information or data, how they evolved and where they are, and the fact that they're flawed, at least at this stage, we have tools to improve those models. And the model that we're presenting, it uses AI because it now for the first time with the advent of ChatGPT and the popularity of ChatGPT, we could see that we can process natural language very reliably. And that was always a problem. It was a dream in the world of computer science to be able to process natural language reliably. You know, the, the thing, interesting thing about ChatGPT is because it's a probabilistic machine, it, the, its output is not always reliable. And they refer to that as hallucination. In fact, uh, the ChatGPT is always hallucinating. And uh, sometimes those hallucinations are quite useful. And see, so we as humans uh, look at that and go, oh, yeah, that's a brilliant, that's the right answer. But when it's actually talking garbage, it's doing exactly the same thing that it's that when it's talking sense. But the interesting thing is even when it's hallucinating, it understood the question and understood the natural language. So the natural language processing part of it is very reliable. So in the, in the model that we're proposing saying, look, we've got to start with communication. We've got to understand how communication models are flawed. And we talked about that in the previous discussion. So we need to flip this on its head and create a new communication model that is workflow-based communication because humans come together in these organizations And we're connected together through this virtual nervous system that we call workflow. And if we're connected together through this workflow, then the communication needs to be workflow-based. And I wrote a paper on this, and one of the papers I wrote uh, was published a couple of years ago in IEEE. And the discovery there was that if we change the pivot of communication, from humans, you know, because you have, you know, I discussed the fact that it's either the 
person or the subject that can be the pivot. And the email is the person is the pivot. And these social networking models like Facebook or Slack or Yammer or Teams is the subject that's the pivot. And neither one of those are related to the workflow. So why do we start with the workflow? But workflow itself can't be the pivot because workflow is really this virtual assembly line. What's important is what moves inside the workflow, all those objects that are moving around. If we're making radios, all these pieces of radio, the transistors, the amplifiers, the casing, those are the piecing. And what we discovered is that the pieces that human beings talk about, the smallest piece that a human being can talk about, that's a critical entity. And these critical entities should be the pivot of communication. And once you make them the pivot of communication, then you actually define them. Uh, It's easy to kind of create that definition in in software. You can add algorithms to them because if I create a a representative of an X-ray, I can add algorithm to that X-ray saying, you know, do this if you're that, do, you know, it's just traditional deterministic logic. I can attach to that x-ray. But now I have an LLM. I have that capacity. I can give that LLM to that x-ray as well. So it can process information, whether that's structured or natural language, whether that's a dialogue between the nurse and the doctor or the doctor and the patient. And that LLM can get that intelligence to know that, oh, the doctor is talking to the patient. So I'm going to keep that information in a different area. Oh, the doctor is talking to another doctor. And that information is going to be kept in a different area. Just like a human, when you talk to your mother, you have a different set of conversations as when you talk to your friends or your boss. So humans actually create these different segmentations and are aware of where that information is kept. And if you create these critical entities and give them these LLMs and give them the intelligence, in addition to the traditional algorithms, Because now you've got the best of both worlds because the traditional algorithms are deterministic state machines. That's the technical term for it. And they don't hallucinate. You may, you know, introduce bugs, but you know, we know how to kind of improve them. This is how we make uh, autopilots on a plane. We sit there and program them and you wouldn't want an autopilot uh, to be the output of a chat GPT, but. You may want the natural language processing aspect of ChatGPT to be there because it's reliable. So the pilot can say, you know, take the uh, plane to 30,000 feet, right? So that is easily understood. So that's kind of what we've done in a sense in our model of object messaging and intelligent objects is creating, taking the best of LLMs, which is the natural language processing, and attach them to these objects and then added the traditional algorithms as to what these objects are supposed to do, depending what they are, right? So, and that is really dependent on the designers of the system. Let's let's keep going with this radio analogy. I like this uh, sort of ancient tech when talking about new tech here. Let's say I'm, you know, the owner of the radio factory, and you have completely intrigued me with this idea of object messaging and, you know, workflow communications. Where do I start in terms of implementing it or even learning more about it so that my business can grow with it. So if we were, if you were hiring us and say, look, build me a kind of a system that organizes my entire radio factory. So we would basically build you a specialized project management system because that's, you know, essentially, if you think about it, everything that we do when we come together, we're really doing projects and projects are essentially our collection of things to be done. 
in different phases, right? It's, a, it's this is the manufacturing process. And so, you know, if we're making radio, it's kind of well understood the features that we, so we would start identifying and say, well, what is in a radio? Radio, you, you know, start, you've got these components and what are the components? What's the smallest component you have? Where do you start? Well, we have to have resistors, transistors and radio knobs. So we take, we take, you know, the amplifier designer takes all these components of resistors and transistors and put them together on this piece and it makes an amplifier. So that becomes a super component. And in fact, let me give you an interesting analogy. This is really inspired by biology. In our brain, in the back of our brain, there's not a little file folder that keeps track of information about our liver cell. The liver cell itself is very intelligent. It keeps all the information about itself. It knows what it is. It knows that it's the liver cell. That's how it's designed. It's, it's got the algorithms of processing liver things, right? Well, actually, it detoxifies your body. And it knows its neighbors. It communicates with its neighbors, all the neighbors around it using messages, in fact. And the collection of those cells become your liver. And your liver is a super component. It's almost like the amplifier, right? But, and it's connected to the rest of the system using veins, arteries, and nervous system. And then your kidney is the same. It's built the same. Your brain, our brains are built the same. It's a collection of these cells. And the brain has a different function because now you are looking at the entire system. But every one of these super objects are composed of smaller objects that are self-contained, self-intelligent, and they send messages to each other. And they have very specific tasks. And the brain itself is sitting at the top as a conductor, organizing. So if we built you a system, a project management system, using this model where you're factory, essentially, your radio assembly line is taken into consideration with the people. Like, okay, who am I? I'm an inventory guy. I order transistors, right? So I'm attached to this system with a particular function. So the transistors actually that I order, they know who I am. I'm just an inventory guy. And they know how to flow through this assembly line, where to get. And if I make an order for a shipment and it's late, the shipment is late, so I get that information and I put the system up and I basically say, hey, this transistor, I'm going to pull it out of this queue. It was moving virtually and it's going to be put on a backlog for a week because they said to me it's going to be week uh, late for a week. That virtual transistor in your system knows other stakeholders. It knows that the engineer who designs it immediately shows up in his inbox. Hey, I got news for you. Guess what? Masood put me in the backlog for a week. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay. So, uh, and by the way, that amplifier that was supposed to be designed by me, that because they're connected, knows that, okay, I'm not going to be ready for another week. So because they, that propagates, that event gets transferred because the transistor also communicates that uh, natural language to the amplifier. The amplifier communicates it all the way up to the radio. The radio shows up, the red radio that was ordered by the salesperson now the transistor doesn't show up in the inbox of the salesperson. The radio shows up in the inbox of the salesperson and says, hey, you expect, expected me uh, on Tuesday. Guess what? I'm going to be late by one week. The radio says, <laughs> says that, right? And I go, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Let me see why. He can drill down and see all the way down to all these sub-objects or the constituents of the radio and see, oh, it's because of the transistor. And actually, he can even right there he starts talking to the radio saying, wait, 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 I've got, you know, I got customers, important customers in there. And that radio, as a, it becomes a message. The, well, 
it's not the physical radio, obviously, it's the representation of that radio in, inside your system. And it'll move to the right stakeholders and show up and say, this is what Masood is saying about me. Could be that I could tag my boss, like because my boss doesn't care about any of these things. He's not connected to the radio. The radio doesn't know that my boss is sitting at the top. He's not concerned. He, that's not a stakeholder, but I can actually tag him and say, hey, you need to look at this. And that radio all of a sudden shows up uh, in my boss's inbox. And, and so the whole issue gets a- escalated in a sense. And my boss sits there and, and says, hey, wait a minute. It sends a message to the inventory guy in the radio. Says, hey, no, no, no. You know, try this other vendor because they have, and I know and I'm going to make a phone call. And that radio shows up in the inventory guy's box with that message and so, so on and so forth. So you can see how communication gets optimized because it's the objects that interact with people and they carry that information, whether that's dialogue or any event that's occurred and they move around. So that's why it's the object messaging. And that's the object messaging aspect. It's no longer just a message in an isolation moving around in different channels. The, and at the same time, the radio object, it has an LLM. It's read everything about itself. If six months later it shows up in some report, you could query that radio. What happened to you? You know, how did you, you know, get here? Well, if this happened. It knows you can ask it any question because it has an LLM. It has all the data. It has all the conversations. So that's the, the way we would build that manufacturing system for you. Interesting. And thinking about it all as a project, you're right. Everything we do together is a project, whether we think it's big or small and, and there are tons of stakeholders or, as you say, objects involved in that. I think just bringing us back to the beginning of the conversation, when I asked you that question, how can data improve workplace comms? You said it can't. And you're right. We have to harness the power of data and there's, or harness the data and then build the power out of it. And I think there's so much available to people that they're not thinking about. They're not thinking about the value of that they have the opportunity and the access. There we go. Uh, the access to that data. So yeah, I guess, do you have any sort of quick examples of you know, any organizations that you can leave nameless or systems that you put in place that have really added a ton of value to just improving those communication systems through that harnessing of data? Well, you know, for us, uh, this is the generic model. And we feel that we need to rewrite all of our programs again using this new model. And that's a, I mean, it may sound like a tall order, but we've done that twice in the history of uh, evolution of programming. We did it once when uh, graphical user interfaces showed up back in the 80s, because prior to that, the way we wrote programs was quite straightforward. Take an input, do some sort of calculation, print an output. That's how it was in the 60s, 70s. And then when Steve Jobs introduced Mac and and popularized graphical user interfaces, it changed, completely changed. And, And a lot of companies went out of business. A lot of programmers stopped programming, the older ones. The young ones got all excited. Because now you no longer do that. You know, here's a physical object on the screen. Looks like a trash can. Looks like a file folder. So what you do is the way you do what you do is you take these physical objects and you give them behavior based on events that occur to them. You know, the events could be a double clicking or dragging or dropping. And so it's like if I drag the file folder and drop it in the trash can, that means delete it. So, so I'll go in there and give that trash can behavior by writing logic. So that's called event-driven programming. Entire world changed the way we wrote programs. We threw away all the old programs and we started writing it in this new fashion. And we did it again in the 2000s when we went from local area networks to what's called cloud-based computation. That actually completely changed the way we wrote programs. Not only did it change the way we wrote programs, 
It changed the way we organize as technical people. New animals showed up. New types of people showed up in this whole cycle. In the past, you and I could sit in our garage and write a program and distribute it on some CD or the older times of floppy disks. But today, you know, you have to have data centers and that data center could mean armies of DevOps and you need the back-end people, you need uh, front-end people. It's just completely changed. And, and, and that happened over you know, 10, 15 years from 2009. And we feel like we need to change that again. We need to basically go to this model, even though we, we improved a lot of stuff because what graphical user interfaces did, they basically made uh, computers more accessible to humans. They make less intimidating. It became more user-friendly. But still, they, they adhere to that form model. They, we still had dumb forms on our screens. And say in the 2000s, you know, you no longer had to go to your office to access your the software. You could access it from anywhere. But still, you had the same DOM forms on the screen. Now we have AI show up. And so graphical user interfaces were not just a tool, they were a platform. You had to rewrite stuff for that. And same thing with cloud. Cloud was the internet as a platform. And we needed to migrate our computational programs onto this new platform. And we see AI as a new platform. It's not a tool. We're applying it as a tool, but it's a platform. We need to migrate our traditional programs to this platform, but you need a model for that. And the model we're proposing is that inspiration for biology, it would be called object messaging and intelligent object. Now, the good news is that we have a lot of automation tools that we could automate a lot of this stuff. You know, we don't need to spend 10 years doing this. We could do this in a couple of years. We can actually convert a lot of the old programs into this model. And going back to your original question about the point you raised about the data itself, like I said, the data is neutral. It's the way we organize data. Now, in fact, now if we reorganize that data and say this data doesn't belong in a file folder somewhere on a disk. This data belongs to that screw, to that knob on the radio, to that transistor, to that X-ray. This is a structured data that defines it. And here's the data, other data, the dialogue between stakeholders. That also belongs to that X-ray. What the doctor said to the patient about the X-ray, that data doesn't belong in a file folder somewhere that Nurse Jones needs to store it. And in fact, we don't even store this stuff. We really we lose a lot of this information because it happens on the phone. But now look, that's why when you mention our system is a project management, collaboration, documentation, communication, all in one thing. And it has to be all in one thing because it's composed of all these objects that take responsibility. For example, if I create a feature request and put it in the system and that feature request is intelligent, it goes around and goes to the project manager and there's discussions occur and other people become stakeholders because a designer starts designing it and developers start developing it and some issue shows up. And as some issue shows up, we start having a communication conference. We don't go on Zoom isolated and talk about this and make notes and then those notes get emailed to us. No, that feature sits there and just like another participant, listens to me as a stakeholder that I requested it, listens to the designer, listens to the developer, listens to the, we're all talking and that feature is also listening. And when the communication is over, the conference is stored, that video, that feature holds it. And actually the transcript of it, that feature reads it, understands it. So later on, I can go back and say, hey, uh, as a boss, why didn't we implement this feature? Like the big boss, just ask the system, ask the brain. The brain 
basically routes that question to all the uh, components, then that feature shows up. Yeah, I can tell you, this is what happened to me. Masood said, we're not necessary on this. And everybody agreed with, with them. So we weren't include. I wasn't included in that release. So that is the, the, if you can visualize that, it becomes a really completely different world. We're going to create the efficiencies, the likes of which no one has ever seen. And that's going to have unbelievable impact in our in our happiness because humans don't need to really uh, be bothered with all the drudgery we call work. You know, we just become humans. I just have this expertise or this creativity, for example, as a designer. I know what the colors need to go with what colors, right? You know, and I say this is the stuff that people are afraid that oh, AI can do that better. No, because we're still making things for humans. At the end of the day, this world is about humans. AI is just a tool. But me as a designer, I don't have to sit here and worry about when to send this information to whom. I just react to what shows up on my screen. The whole thing shows up and it's like, oh no, put the red over here and draw a line over there and you're good to go. And the object takes that. You know, I become the creative element as opposed to the information processor, which is really what we don't like about work. Thank you so much for that. I just have these images in my head of the information silos, like actual barn silos being bulldozed, exploded, turned into dust through this model and your programming. It's so interesting. That's going to bring us to the wrap up here on our data literacy episode of the Data Driven Podcast. Thanks again to Masood Alabash, CEO of Amadeus, for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Masood, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can visit his company website at omadeus.com. O-M-A-D-E-U-S dot com. Thanks again for joining us. And it's been a super interesting conversation. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to datadrivenpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. Of course, you can always reach me. Just submit an inquiry at storyiq.com. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of data-driven brilliance in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, remember that when it comes to data, less is more. Uh